Coffee. Over 125 million people today are, in some form, employed in the industry surrounding it worldwide, helping to bring the world the 400 billion cups of coffee it consumes each year. Many, in fact, consider having at least a morning cup of coffee a necessary part of having a productive day, or at least a stable one. The main reason for this, unless you're drinking decaf, is the famous, invigorating, and generally safe drug called caffeine. Coffee has helped to fuel mankind in its various pursuits for centuries, but how long, exactly? Where did coffee come from, and how did it take over the world? Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to Fire of Learning. I'm Justin. In this video, we will be exploring the fascinating origins of coffee. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Lamia Bukris, Eric Rader, Beth Baird, Mike Fantasia, Stephen Colonna, Michael McGinnis, Nicola Lonechar, Everett White, Anubis Anarchy, Faceless Buster, David M.D., Lene Kasperson, Blaine Arahara, Carolis, and Alan Hasty for being our most recent supporters on Patreon. They join these supporters who help make these videos possible. Also, a past patron had his name mispronounced, Jacob Sewers, is actually Jacob Sievers. This video is an improved remake of a video I did years ago. Now then, let's get to it. Many societies, such as the United States, home to many of the world's most famous coffee house chains, consider coffee to be a central part of their dietary culture. However, though caffeine itself has been consumed by humans in some form since before recorded history, for most of human history, coffee itself was unknown to the world. The story begins in the late Middle Ages and early modern era, with the berries of a small tree native to Aromia, a region of what is today the East African nation of Ethiopia. This is the homeland of the Kafea plant. When exactly people first stumbled upon and consumed the berries of the Kafea plant and felt the stimulating effects of the red berries or cherries is not known. One legend attributes the discovery to an Ethiopian goat herder named Kaldi, who lived sometime between the 6th and 9th century. One day, he noticed some of his goats had become quite energetic after chewing on the red berries of an unfamiliar shrub. Made curious by his dancing goats, he tried the berries for himself and felt these energizing effects. Believing his discovery to be quite important, he took the berries to a local monk. The monk, however, rejected them and cast them into a nearby fire. However, the smell of the roasting coffee seeds within the berries, which are usually called beans, although they're technically not, caught his attention, as well as the attention of other nearby monks. The beans were taken from the fire, ground up, and mixed into a cup of water. Thus, the first cup of coffee. This story, which seems to come from European writers from the late 1600s, is probably much more legend than history. One of a handful of legends pertaining to the discovery of coffee, in fact. No one knows who first discovered the effects of coffee, and we likely never will. However, it is certainly quite possible that the true story is not too dissimilar. Caffeine is a deadly poison to insects. It's believed that caffeine naturally functioned as a pesticide, overloading the nervous system of insects, causing them to die before they could consume a large portion of the plant. However, that same effect on a much larger creature, like a human or perhaps a goat, is a much more survivable and enjoyable experience. One way or another, Ethiopian locals, likely the Gala tribe, discovered this effect of the coffee berry. However, it does not appear that they were the first to make a drink from the seeds. Rather, that appears to have happened in the nearby Islamic world. Like in Africa, it appears that the Arabs first chewed the beans and made drinks from them which historians believe were quite different from modern coffee. 
This may have begun sometime around the 10th century or so. The Persian scholar Al-Razi seems to have mentioned the stimulating effects of the berries around this time. The Arabs called the drink they made from the berries kabwa, a word interestingly related to their word for wine and likely the origin of the modern word for coffee across most languages. When they began making coffee in its modern form is not known, but it seems to have been sometime between the 10th and 15th century. There is clear, written evidence of the consumption of coffee in the Islamic world by at least the 15th century, a drink which they again gave the same name as the other drink, kabwa. According to Bennett Allen Weinberg and Bonnie K. Beeler in The World of Caffeine, the earliest certain appearance of coffee in its modern form comes from the mid-15th century, in the monasteries of Sufi monks in Yemen, which was just across the Red Sea. They also note there is a strange lack of discussion about coffee beans, or potentially coffee itself, the beans being called boon or boonsham, between the 10th and 15th centuries, with the exception of folk accounts, such as that of the Sheikh Omar. His story is another one pertaining to the supposed discovery of coffee. He is said to have survived off the berries and the drink he brewed from them after having been banished, and introduced them to his people in the 12th century. Why this 500-year gap regarding the discussion of coffee exists is yet another coffee mystery. Anyway, it appears to have reached the city of Mocha in modern-day Yemen by that time. It soon reached nearby Mecca. From there, Mecca being a Mecca of the Islamic world after all, it spread out across the Middle East and North Africa. Interestingly, coffee initially had a religious significance to many Muslims, especially the Sufis, who used it to assist in fasting during Ramadan, as well as to aid them in staying awake at night for prayers. It was also believed to have carried many medicinal benefits, some of which, though not all of course, scientists today know consuming it really does have. Quite quickly though, in a society which forbade alcohol, it became a drink of the common people for normal, casual use. What followed were places for men, men of all classes but men only, to congregate and consume the beverage. These were the first coffee houses. Women could consume coffee at home, though in some circumstances they were allowed to sing at coffee houses provided they were hidden from view. These coffee houses became places of both relaxation and games, but also serious discussion and argument. Not everyone approved, however. Other Muslims felt that the ban on intoxicants, such as alcohol, mentioned in the Quran, should apply to coffee as well. Furthermore, coffee houses became sources of trouble, centers of debauchery forbidden by Islamic law, and hotbeds of political unrest. Indeed, at certain points and in certain places, such as the city of Mecca in 1511, coffee and coffee house bans were enacted, forcing the trade and consumption underground. In some cases, trading and consuming coffee was punishable by death. The spread to the Christian world seems to have come via the burgeoning Ottoman Empire, which ruled over parts of Europe and much of the Middle East. The Ottomans conquered Yemen in 1536. Syrians introduced coffee to the capital of Constantinople in the 1550s, and the Turks became very enthusiastic about it. Many European merchants and travelers first observed it there, tried it on some occasions, and sometimes wrote of it. Coffee's gradual introduction to Europe appears to have been through both war and trade. In 1565, the Ottomans attempted to conquer the island of Malta. They were defeated, however, by the Knights of St. John. They took Ottoman soldiers as slaves, who introduced the Maltese to coffee. Decades later, the Venetians became interested in the drink, and acquired it through trade, becoming the first to introduce the drink to the continent. 
Throughout the late 1500s, coffee quickly spread to many other parts of Europe. England, France, the other Italians, and the Dutch were especially interested. The people of Europe began to search for the plant which produced these wonderful new beans. The Dutch were the first to succeed in 1616 when a sly merchant, Peter van der Brucke, acquired them while in the city of Mocha. This was no simple task. The Yemenis guarded their coffee supply closely, requiring that any beans which left the area be boiled or roasted to prevent germination. However, Peter was not the first to succeed in smuggling them. A Muslim pilgrim had already succeeded in bringing them to India by taping the seeds to his stomach under his clothes. Still, Burka's success was of great importance to his people. He took them back to his home in the Netherlands where he began to successfully grow them. However, such cold climates as Northern Europe are not ideal for large-scale coffee production. Thankfully for the Dutch, however, in this time they were in the business of acquiring tropical colonies, such as the island of Sri Lanka, south of India, the island of Java in Indonesia, and Suriname in South America. The Dutch East India Company spearheaded European coffee production in these areas in the late 16 and early 1700s, fueling Europe's new coffee addiction for many years. Other European empires would follow suit in their warmer colonies as well. In 1720, Gabriel de Cleux brought coffee to the island of Martinique. Legend says he introduced it to the island and kept it alive on his ship by sharing his limited water ration with it, though in truth others may have already brought it there. Much of the coffee drank around the world, Arabica, is said to be descended from his plants. Arabica, by the way, is one of the four main varieties of coffee drank around the world to this day, accounting for about 65% of production. The other main one being Robusta, which makes up much of the remainder. Liberica and Excelsa are somewhat rarer. Anyway, coffee was also farmed by the slaves of the French colony of Saint-Domingue, modern-day Haiti, which would later begin to produce massive amounts of coffee as well. The first European coffee houses opened in Venice in 1645. The rest of Europe followed suit, with thousands of coffee houses springing up throughout the continent in the subsequent decades. European coffee houses were not quite as rowdy as the Middle Eastern counterparts, as they already had pubs with alcohol for that. Thus, they were more likely to become centers of intellectual culture. However, that does not mean they were not centers of trouble at all. Coffee houses were frequent meeting places for those seeking to discuss new ideas. New ideas which often contradicted the ideas of ruling political elites. In 1675, Charles II, the son of a king who had had his head cut off by political dissidents after a civil war, attempted to shut down coffee houses throughout England, but retracted his order when the public outcry was too great. Likewise, French Enlightenment philosophers were later known for gathering in coffee houses in the years prior to the French Revolution. Coffee wasn't always popular with those supportive of the Enlightenment, however. In his book, Uncommon Grounds, Mark Pendergast shares a quote from Frederick the Great, the 18th century king of Prussia, and by the way, friend of the enthusiastic coffee addict Voltaire, in which he denounced it. He was recorded to have said, It is disgusting to notice the increase in the quantity of coffee used by my subjects, and the like amount of money that goes out of the country in consequence. My people must drink beer. His Majesty was brought up on beer, and so were his ancestors." End quote. He then banned the roasting of coffee outside of government establishments for four years. Old Fritz was known for being a bit of a curmudgeon. In Frederick's defense, importing coffee to Prussia was costly. Others, however, believed that coffee had helped to bring sobriety to their countries, and were glad to see the change. 
Like in the Islamic world, Christians initially also had religious concerns about coffee. Though their concerns were not as strong, they did have concerns about a Muslim drink becoming popular among their people. However, when Pope Clement VIII tried it around the year 1600, he gave it his blessing. It is claimed, and it may or not be true, that he said, quote, Why, this Satan's drink is so delicious that it would be a pity to let the infidels have exclusive use of it. We shall cheat Satan by baptizing it and making it a truly Christian beverage, end quote. And thus, the Catholic world, especially Italy and eventually France, accepted coffee and never looked back. The Italians in particular would become creative with coffee, inventing many ways of having it, including espresso. In Victorian England, Christian prohibitionists encouraged coffee houses as an alternative to alcohol. A few branches of Christianity, however, eventually did decide against coffee, most famously the Mormons. In 1683, a massive Ottoman army attempted to conquer the Austrian capital of Vienna. At the Battle of Vienna, they were defeated by a combined Christian force who, upon pillaging the Ottoman army camps, found coffee. Initially, they assumed it was camel food, so they burned it, but thankfully for them, a commander who had lived in the Ottoman Empire for a time recognized the smell. This helped coffee's immediate spread throughout Central and Eastern Europe. Coffee was very well received throughout Europe. However, throughout this time, it should be remembered that coffee was in competition with tea, for which the British, for example, developed preference. This was the case in their American colonies as well. That is, of course, until the Tea Act was placed upon them. After American patriots held the Boston Tea Party in 1773, tea became a symbol of royal tyranny, and Americans began to prefer coffee, which they still do to this day, though it was expensive and less common in America in those days. For example, in 1774, John Adams wrote to his wife Abigail saying, quote, Tea must be universally renounced, and I must be weaned. The sooner the better. Caffeine was first separated from coffee by Friedlieb Ferdinand Runge in 1819, at the suggestion of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Coffee only reached isolationistic Japan in 1858. In the end, the king of coffee plantations would be Brazil. Coffee became popular there after the country gained independence from Portugal in 1822. Large tracts of the Amazon were cleared to make way for coffee production. By 1852, Brazil was leading the world in terms of coffee production. Much of this was through slave labor. In fact, coffee production played a large role in making Brazil the last country in the Americas to abolish slavery, not doing so until 1888, and only then in part because paid labor from Europe became cheaper. To this day, the large, warm, and fertile country of Brazil remains the world's largest coffee producer. From 1850 until 1950, in fact, it exported more coffee than the rest of the world combined. Since then, other countries, namely Vietnam, Colombia, Indonesia, and of course, Ethiopia, have begun to increase production. Each of these countries lies between the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn, or what's called the Coffee Belt, a geographical belt stretching around the planet where conditions are ideal for growing coffee. Today, Brazil produces one-third of all the world's coffee. In the industrial era, when coffee production became more bountiful, coffee began to move from being a drink, more often than not associated with the upper classes, to one which fueled working people in their gruesome labor conditions. To this day, common folk fuel their labor across a wide variety of fields with coffee. 
Though, as I mentioned, Brazil produces coffee at great levels, proportionally speaking, Finland drinks more coffee than any other country, at over 26 pounds per capita per year. The rest of Scandinavia has high consumption levels as well, if you consider Finland Scandinavia. Anyway, of the American states, New York is the most interested in coffee. Today, coffee's popularity is stronger than ever, and it doesn't appear likely that that popularity is going anywhere. With so many people consuming so much coffee, many wonder, how exactly is coffee affecting our health? Coffee has been viewed as a drug since its beginnings. Indeed, in its early days, it was perhaps viewed more as a drug than as a comestible. In its early days, it was said to cause impotence, sterility, exhaustion, dry up cerebrospinal fluid, and eventually cause paralysis. Inversely, others said that it was a remedy for plague, and that it prevented stillbirths. These claims weren't exactly scientific, but modern science has shown that there are a number of benefits and drawbacks to coffee, some of which were indeed suggested by the people of the past. Overall, coffee is considered very safe when consumed at normal amounts, i.e., on average, three to four cups a day. Each cup of normal coffee contains about 95 milligrams of caffeine, almost four times the amount in a cup of tea. We all know people who would call that rookie numbers, though. That amount may be too high for pregnant women. Coffee intake may be associated with low birth rate or even miscarriage, but the science on this is not very clear. Overall, coffee may be more beneficial to human health than harmful. Many studies show coffee drinkers seem to live longer than non-drinkers and are at lower risk for a whole list of diseases. Whether or not this is causal, that is to say whether or not coffee itself is actually causing people to live longer and be healthier, or if it's co-correlated with something else, is unclear. Coffee may also improve gastrointestinal health, lift mood, and, as many are well aware, give an individual a feeling of increased energy. Still, coffee is not very nutritional in itself, and it can have negative effects, especially when consumed in excess or consumed by individuals suffering from disorders such as GERD, an anxiety disorder, or, much more seriously, an unruptured aneurysm. In case you were wondering, on average it would take about 70 cups of coffee, or over 4 gallons at once, to kill a healthy adult, though you would likely begin feeling extremely unpleasant before even nearing that number, and find yourself unable to go through with it. In fact, you would likely die from water intoxication well before caffeine overdose. More concentrated forms of caffeine have been deadly, however, so be careful about combining coffee with other, stronger sources of caffeine. I hope you enjoyed this video. If so, I invite you to come check out the rest of Fire of Learning and to subscribe for more videos like this in the future. To help with the cost of producing these videos, a donation on Patreon would be a big help. A special thanks to our patrons once again listed here. We are also on Instagram, and I run a science channel called Lucinox, which you may want to check out too. Sources are listed in the description. History of Spain Part 2 is coming. Thank you for watching. Alright, well, I'm gonna go grab a cup of tea.